Hello and welcome back to the adventures of Lola Badiola. In the last episode, Lola was able to control her panic attack and deliver a speech. In this episode, we are going to find out more about JBlock, her new company, and the man who founded it. We will also discuss the advanced vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation used in the text. So, without any further delay, let's go back to the story. The Adventures of Lola Badiola Chapter 11 The Interview JJ got onto his electric scooter and rode through the rush hour traffic of central Madrid. It was already 8.30 and he had a busy morning ahead of him. He had to pick up his residency permit from the town hall, then he had to drop off various documents relating to his business at the tax office. After that, he had an appointment for an interview with an American journalist at CyberStory magazine at a restaurant near Plaza Colón. He was running late, but every time he tried to speed up, a car, truck or bus would get in his way and he would have to slow down. He looked forward to a world where all large vehicles were banned from the city centres. It was 11.15 by the time he reached Platea on Calle de Goya, an art deco cinema that had been converted into a series of interconnected restaurants. The journalist was already at the bar waiting for him. Hi, Bradley Manson. J.J. Thompson. Orange juice? (laughs) Sounds good. You know... I've spent more than 18 months living in Spain and I still can't say Zumo de Naranja, J.J. smiled. I can't double roll my R's. That's why I never travel by ferrocarril. They both chuckled. After a little more small talk, the journalist got straight to asking J.J. some standard questions about his past business life. Your first big success was Eport, wasn't it? J.J. had worked with the San Francisco Port Authority to design software that would dramatically improve the logistics within the port. There were great inefficiencies in the way that oil tankers, cargo ships and yachts navigated inland. There were even greater inefficiencies in the way that the freight was dropped off by the ships and picked up by the awaiting trucks and trains. J.J. had designed an algorithm that minimised the amount of time and movement of each boat using the port. The cost savings were worth tens of millions of dollars a year. When other port authorities around the world heard about the success in San Francisco, JJ's phone didn't stop ringing. And then you sold ePort to a private equity firm, didn't you? That's right. I love creating businesses. Other people love building them. What's the secret to your success? Every tech entrepreneur needs the right mix of hard skills and soft skills. Clearly, you need to have the technical ability. You need to be able to write code and implement best practice in your business. But you also need to understand people. You need to be able to communicate, influence, lead, negotiate, and work in a team. And you need to do all of this with integrity. Your current venture is called JBlock, isn't it? JBlock is a startup cybersecurity company using blockchain technology to revolutionize the fight against corporate crime. 
JJ explained in detail the plans to compete against the big companies that protected the status quo in the IT sector. He explained how the software that his company was developing would surpass any products that were currently in the cybersecurity market. Just like ePort, it would drastically reduce the operational costs of doing business, and in doing so, it would put some powerful IT companies out of business. It's David versus Goliath, said JJ, and we all know how that story ended. The journalist clearly liked the sentence and wrote it word for word into his notepad. How do you think the incumbents will react? he asked. That's their business, replied JJ. My job as CEO of J Block is to focus on mine. At the end of the interview, JJ and the American journalist from Cyber Story magazine exchanged numbers and agreed to go out for a beer together before the end of the month. JJ picked up an electric scooter just outside of Platea and headed back to the office. It was 12.45pm and streets were now relatively free of traffic. Following close behind him was a black Toyota Prius. Okay, this is a very dense chapter with a lot of business vocabulary and concepts. So let's work our way through the key learning points slowly but surely. At the beginning of the chapter, we find out about J.J. Thompson's first successful company, ePort. Have a listen to this again. J.J. had worked with the San Francisco Port Authority to design software that would dramatically improve the logistics within the port. There were great inefficiencies in the way that oil tankers, cargo ships, and yachts navigated inland. There were even greater inefficiencies in the way that the freight was dropped off by the ships and picked up by the awaiting trucks and trains. JJ had designed an algorithm that minimized the amount of time and movement of each boat using the port. So let's start off by reviewing some of the key words. Logistics. This is the organization and implementation of a complex operation. The adjective is logistical. For example, there are many logistical inefficiencies in international ports. And here's another example. It is a logistical nightmare trying to get my three teenage daughters to school in the morning. Okay, next we have the words cargo and freight. These are synonyms and they refer to the commercial goods that are transported in large quantities either by truck or train or ship or aircraft. They do not refer to passengers. We also have the word yacht. This of course is a large and usually expensive boat. Now, most people spell and pronounce this word incorrectly. So, for the record, it is spelt Y-A-C-H-T, and it is pronounced yacht. Another key word is algorithm. And this is simply a set of rules to be followed in calculations or other problem-solving operations 
especially by a computer. So now let's put all that vocabulary together. What do we get? ePort uses algorithms to improve the logistics of the delivery of freight or cargo into a port. And in our story, ePort is a hugely successful company and JJ sells it for many millions of dollars. Well done, JJ. Okay, let's move on to some everyday phrasal verbs. Have a listen to this again. He was running late, but every time he tried to speed up, a car, truck or bus would get in his way and he would have to slow down. Native English speakers are likely to use the phrasal verbs to speed up and to slow down in everyday conversation rather than their Latin-based synonyms to accelerate and to decelerate. Now, this is a typical challenge for non-native speakers because the Latin-based alternative is easy to understand, particularly for Southern Europeans who speak Romance languages like Italian, Spanish, Romanian and many others. On the other hand, the phrasal verb is really not so easy to understand. And this is something that the native English speaker should really bear in mind if they're in an international environment. If you are a native English speaker making a speech or writing a report, it is helpful to choose the Latin-based word over the phrasal verb. Here is another example. He had to pick up his residency permit from the town hall. Then he had to drop off various documents relating to his business at the tax office. Drop off and pick up. Two very common phrasal verbs. Their synonyms would be to deliver and to collect. And once again, these Latin-based synonyms are much easier for non-native English speakers to understand. So here are the key learning points. If you are a non-native speaker, try to learn two or three new phrasal verbs every week. Don't try to memorize long lists. That is a depressing and futile activity. Remember, this is a constant work in progress for you as a high intermediate or advanced non-native speaker. If you are a native English speaker, then I recommend you look for formal Latin-based alternatives to the phrasal verb when you're communicating in an international environment. So, for example, speed up becomes accelerate. Slow down becomes decelerate. Pick up becomes collect. And drop off becomes deliver. Okay, let's move on to some pronunciation work. Listen to this interaction again. You know, I've spent more than 18 months living in Spain and I still can't say zumo de naranja. JJ smiled. I can't double roll my R's. That's why I never travel by ferrocarril. We do a lot of pronunciation work in this podcast. Normally, I'm helping non-native speakers avoid the typical mispronunciations in English. 
but there are always certain combinations of sounds that will be extremely difficult to reproduce naturally, simply because these combinations are not common in your native language. So your mouth, your tongue, your palate are not accustomed to making the combination of movements required to make the sound. And that is equally true for me when I am trying to speak Spanish. I'm just like the two Americans in this chapter. Every time I order an orange juice at a bar in Madrid, it feels like a vocal contortion to produce the words zumo de naranja. Because there is no zu sound in English. There is no ch sound in English. These are new syllables for me. They are new vocal formations for my mouth. And I find it extremely difficult to make them flow in a natural way. And I also find it extremely difficult to roll my R's. Okay, I did it just then, but I was really concentrating. You see, there is no R in my Southern English pronunciation. I have to make a huge effort to say the word ferrocarril. Okay, so this word actually has two double R combinations. And it means railway. So it's a very important word to be able to express clearly and correctly. Now what happens when I say ferrocarril in Spanish? In order to make those R's roll, in order to get that right sound, my body becomes tense. I look like I'm in a great deal of pain. And it's actually quite disturbing for the people I'm speaking to. They kind of look at me with a strange expression. Are you okay, Sam? So I've decided, rather than making that extraordinary effort to roll my R's, I'm just going to say ferrocarril. I'm not even going to try to roll my R's. I'm just going to accept that when I speak Spanish, I will never sound like a Spanish person. And that's okay. My English accent, when I speak Spanish, is part of who I am. It's part of my heritage. It's part of my personality. My Spanish wife thinks it's adorable. And I'm proud of it. As long as you can understand me, I'm happy with my accent. And that's exactly how you should feel about your accent when you're speaking English. Be it a Spanish accent, a French accent, a Japanese accent, whatever your accent is. Because in international business, all accents are equally valid. So long as the person listening to you can understand you. Just before we move on, it is interesting to note that most Scottish people can indeed roll their R's. They can get that R sound very easily. 
because it's a vocal formation that is part of the way that many Scottish people express themselves. And in case you didn't realize it, the wonderful narrator of our story, David Monteith, is from Scotland. And he would have no problem saying the word ferrocarril. Okay, now let's move on to a couple of business concepts. Have a listen to this again. Every tech entrepreneur needs the right mix of hard skills and soft skills. Hard skills and soft skills. What's the difference? Well, hard skills are also known as technical skills. They tend to be job-specific. So, for example, if you are applying to be a computer programmer at an IT company, you probably need to know some computer programming languages, like C++ or Python. Hard skills are easy to test, and they're easy to demonstrate. So you can get a good sense of someone's hard skills from their CV, from their curriculum vitae. Soft skills, on the other hand, are general characteristics. They're part of your personality. And they include your communication skills, your ability to collaborate with other people, your ability to solve problems. So they're not so obvious on your CV. And they tend to become apparent during an interview process. And as you move up the career ladder, as you get promoted, the importance of your hard skills tends to decline and the relevance and importance of your soft skills tends to increase. So, for example, senior managers in a bank are no longer calculating discounted cash flows. They are communicating with clients. They are motivating their team. They are creating a vision for the future of the company. So as you move up the career ladder, your hard skills become less relevant and your soft skills become more relevant. Okay, finally, let's return to JBlock. What is going to happen when JJ Thompson launches his company and competes in the cybersecurity sector? Have a listen to this again. He explained how the software that his company was developing would surpass any products that were currently in the cybersecurity market. Just like ePort, it would drastically reduce the operational costs of doing business. And in doing so, it would put some powerful IT companies out of business. It's David versus Goliath, said JJ. And we all know how that story ended. So, JJ plans to disrupt the cybersecurity market. His small startup intends to compete with and conquer the huge incumbent IT companies. He sees JBlock as David and Tech Spania as Goliath. So, let's just remind ourselves again of that story and why the metaphor is so appropriate. So in the famous Bible story, the young boy David beats Goliath by using a strategy that Goliath wasn't expecting. Instead of fighting the giant in the conventional way, with armor 
and with a sword. He used a slingshot and stones. So even though Goliath was bigger, it didn't mean that Goliath was better. In fact, Goliath had some major disadvantages. He was big, dumb, and slow-moving, while David was fast, smart, and innovative. Now, there are some very interesting examples of David and Goliath situations in the world of business. And probably the most famous one is how Netflix conquered blockbuster video. So this is how the story goes. In 1997, Reed Hastings, who's now the CEO of Netflix, he returned the video of Apollo 13 to Blockbuster and received a $40 late fee. And this fee seemed very unfair to him. So he came up with the idea of Netflix. Now at that time, Blockbuster was the dominant player in the DVD rental business. It had over $3 billion of revenue and over $200 million of profit. Now, in 1999, a couple of years later, Netflix announced that they had created a monthly subscription for DVD rentals and they dropped all late fees. And Blockbuster still didn't see this as a competitive threat. They didn't react to the changes that were happening around them because Blockbuster was, was a huge company with a big bureaucracy and there wasn't a culture of innovation. It was a big, dumb, slow-moving Goliath. While Netflix had the speed, intelligence and dexterity of David. And we all know how the story ended with Netflix dominating and Blockbuster in bankruptcy. So in our story, J.J. Thompson sees himself in the role of Netflix or in the role of David and Texpania in the role of Blockbuster or the role of Goliath. And he believes he is going to win this battle in exactly the way that they did by using his innovation, by using his dexterity, and by using his intelligence. So what do you think? Who's going to win this battle? Well, we have a long way to go before we find out. And on that question, we come to the end of this episode. We hope you can join us for the next episode of this podcast. Until then, keep practicing and ask yourself the question, whose side are you on? David's or Goliath's?